Hi. There's a gun under this. Shh, well, this is the quiet car. Gotta use your small inside voice in here, son. There's a gun underneath this table, boy, right at you, so I, I can't really hear what you're saying. There's a gun. Shh. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, mate. <laughs> It's been a long time since Johannesburg. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? Really? You don't remember me? You look like every white homeless man I've ever seen. Welcome to The Rank with John and Zach. I'm John. I'm Zach. We've been friends since Cub Scouts, and now 30 years later, we decided to start a podcast where we'll be ranking anything and everything. You know, the natural progression of events for millennials. For the foreseeable future, we're going to be ranking action movies. After that, who knows? But we're hoping our listeners will get involved and help us decide. You're probably wondering what credentials we have to rank anything. Well, we don't have any. If you disagree... Join the discussion at Twitter at, at the Rank Podcast, on our website at therankwithjohnandzack.com, or email us at therankwithjohnandzack at protonmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at the Rank Podcast. And remember, please rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep this thing going. Anyway, enjoy the show. I didn't put away my podcast uh, microphone, right? I left it out because I thought, well, maybe we'll, we'll get a chance to, to do bullet train. And, uh, so today I'm at work, I'm at work and I'm in a meeting and I've got my headset on my work headset and I'm just leaning into my podcast mic <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm talking to my boss. The, Thankfully boss. my camera was off. I was going to say I'm like, why are you, what is that? Are you, are you doing an interview right now? Like, what do you think? <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, what I find sort of really interesting about this and part of the reason I wanted to do a more modern one was because I, I thought it would be interesting to take a look at cinema post COVID. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, the, if you look at the box office, like 2019 was 11 point something billion dollars. Right. And then 2022 was like seven point something billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, 2022 is essentially, you know, COVID, free right so it shouldn't have impeded the box office as much as obviously 2020 or 2021 yeah and yet still it's people aren't so going far back. off yeah they're not going back which i think is kind of sad yeah it, it is um and you hear about that occasionally <laughs> with like either whether it's the rise of streaming or people just liking being in their home better or better at home setups and everything like that but Every so often you do hear about the movie industry complaining about how nobody's going to movies anymore and everything. And did, did you see just recently they uh, one of the theaters, I can't remember which, I think AMC, announced you know different a different pricing structure for different seats in the theater. I did see that, which I it kind of pisses me off. If yeah, I'm being honest, it's like, no, it's not going to help make people go to the movies when they can just have a good seat on their freaking couch. Yeah, and. Uh, at first, when I heard that, I was like, well, that, you know, that's, that's not so bad because maybe some of those bad seats nobody likes will just be really cheap, right? But, of course, that's not really how it works there. You bump up the price of the good seats instead of just right. lowering the price of the bad seats really, really far. I mean, <clears throat> the good thing – you know what's funny is years ago, you said to me, 
and I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. Yeah, of course. But basically you said something like, um, you know, you get more of a euphoric sense, um, like more dopamine is released in your brain when you look up mm-hmm. than when you look straight or down. Hmm. So if you really want to enjoy a movie, it actually helps to sit closer when you have to look up. You know, I, I don't remember saying that, but it sounds like something I would say. So you, you said that to me back in like 2007. Jeez. And I, ever since you said that to me, I have always sat in front. <laughs> Not in like the first row or anything. Yeah. And Sarah does too. So we always sit in the front. I, and I'm, I'm like, glad. well, our, our seats would probably be the cheap ones. Yeah, there you go. So that's, yeah, that's what I mean. If I like sitting a little closer too, I guess, for that reason, having forgot that I said that. But, um, but at the same time, these things, it's never, it's like, if it was just seats are regular priced and cheap, you know, the bad seats are like ultra cheap, that would be awesome. But that's not just that. And with going to the movies, it actually is funny because I wanted to mention with this particular episode, um, what sort of has been going on for me doing this podcast, which we're going, you know, we like ranking things. We like talking about all sorts of random crap, but with the movies that we've been doing particularly, it's been really interesting for me because I've either been revisiting movies I like, which is great, um, watching some movies I don't think I ever would have thought about watching, which is also pretty good. But my favorite thing we've been doing is uh, touching on movies that I wanted to see, but I just would never really get around to because it's not really at the top of my priority list. And that's where Bullet Train falls here because I remember sitting in the theater and seeing a, a coming attraction for it. And I really like the trailers before movies because I like seeing what's coming out. Mm-hmm. I like purposely, I purposely don't pay that much attention to movies that are coming out soon so I can be surprised by trailers. And I thought the trailer for Bullet Train was actually really good because it really made it look like very cool and appealing. And like, I'm not sure exactly what that is, but I kind of do want to see it. And I remember thinking, maybe I'll go see it. But of course I didn't. Yeah. And part of that might be the whole just going to the theater is not what it is anymore because it's so expensive. It's potentially less of a risk of COVID stuff now, but you know, it's always sort of in the back of your mind these days. And yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, and it's just, I forgot how much I like going see, going to see movies in the theater. I forgot how much I like watching movies at home. So it's been really great to sort of make myself, do something that I might not have otherwise and to remember how much I enjoy some of this stuff. And bullet train was just a great example of that without giving away any of the ranking for it. It's an incredibly fun movie to sit and watch. Yeah. Without giving anything away. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. It's visually like interesting, even if you don't really care for it, it's like, well, lots of stuff is happening and it's done in a professional way. And yet maybe this is a good time to get into the, box office because you mentioned the box office for theaters in general with COVID and I'm not, I don't remember this movie doing very much business. Maybe, maybe I'm just forgetting. Well, we, we will touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want, I did. So I, we will touch on that. And I just also wanted to piggyback on what you're saying, because mm-hmm. I, I had movie pass mm-hmm. when that came out and I was like, you know, especially pre-kids i was doing like a movie a day mm-hmm. <laughs> it was crazy sarah and i were going to movies all the time with movie pass um it was a cool concept right of course that the i guess 
it was a cool concept for the consumer, but not so much for the business as that did not do well. Although it's back. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen it. Yeah, I did say. Um, but then we also got the Regal Unlimited plan for both of us. Mm-hmm. So same premise, but my wife and I would give each other a break um, once a week. So we both go mm-hmm. by ourselves once a week uh, as much as we could. But um, but now I'm seeing that Regal file is filing for bankruptcy. And they're like oh, really? a bunch in my area. I don't know if it's in my area necessarily, but in my state. I did not actually see that. Our state, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got AMC that's doing the pricing thing. And um, it would be really sad for me to see, to see, you know, the cinema Mm -hmm. become not a thing anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and advocate going to the movies over sitting at home. It's basically whatever you like, but I really do. There's something about going to the movie and only the movie is in front of you and you're really immersed. That really works for me. So that would be very sad. And it's also, it's one of those things where I think, and I don't know about you, but I mean, I've always felt like, oh, I don't you know, want to be around the crowds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so like, I used to feel that way, but and I, and I still do. I don't like being around a ton of people, whatever. But there is something to be said being in maybe not a crowded movie theater, but, you know, 75% full yeah. movie theater where everybody's experiencing along with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I always think of when I saw Signs. Now, Signs is like 2002, right? A long yeah. time ago. Yeah. But the shared experience of Signs made mm-hmm. it a much better movie than when you watch it by yourself. Yeah. Because M. Night Shyamalan builds a lot of tension and everything and it's sort of slow moving. <laughs> Good Lord, he, does he build tension. <laughs> yeah. But, but then he would, um, he would intersperse these like really silly jokes. But in the theater, you're filled with tension and everybody around you is filled with tension. Mm-hmm. And then he says, does like a stupid joke. It makes everybody crack up. Yeah. It's not that funny. But it's that release of of stored up energy that yeah, you yeah. collectively have, and it just makes it such a a good experience. Anyway, <laughs> no, I, it's exactly true. Um, I you can just think of, you know, some of the recent Marvel movies where certain plot lines and character arcs and just character beats were built up over a decade and a half. Right. <laughs> and the entire theater was just like, I have been waiting so long to see something along these yeah. lines or see this particular moment or whatever. And you the can feel that yeah, you can feel that at home, but it's also, it's just different. Um, maybe it's worse for some people, but I like have it. to wonder if, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's just, it's good to have the option either way. Yeah. You almost have to wonder if the, it's almost like they have to make the, so the streaming products that they've been making, right. The, mm-hmm. the shows, you almost have to wonder if those have to be more perfect than the movies. Yeah. Because you don't get to have that shared experience. You know, that that would be an interesting thing to look at because a couple of the recent movies we did, I'm thinking particularly Speed and The Mummy, are they have a lot of moments where in afterward you go, did that really make sense? But in the moment, you're just so into it. And maybe it would be harder nowadays when you're making a thing for audience audiences at home who can pause whenever they want, who can talk to their friend like, you know, or 
friend. Talk to whoever happens to be sitting with them watching it. <laughs> um, like, just whatever they want. And maybe some of these little moments are going to not go unmentioned because someone's going to turn to, you know, whoever they're sitting with and be like, did you see that? That was dumb. You know, I guess that was dumb. Yeah. It's funny, too, because when I'm watching it now, especially maybe not the first couple movies we did, but since then, I'll watch them and I'll just, I'll, there'll be a part. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if Zach, what Zach is thinking about that part. <laughs> yeah. Um, that actually happened a lot with Bullet Train for me, just to lead into that. <laughs> Well, here let's let's do uh, our agenda real quick, just for the people that um, haven't listened before. Mm-hmm. So, in every episode, we're going to give a brief summary of the movie that we're going to be ranking. In this case, Bullet Train, um, and you know where the current rank stands, and then we're going to go into uh, the potent notables, which potent notables are just you know interesting facts um, surrounding the production of the movie or the movie itself, um, and then we go into the movie overview, which is where we just kind of talk about the movie from beginning to end. And then we do the rank, which is the, you know, the whole concept of the podcast, right? It's why you're even probably listening to it in the first place, but that's, that's what we do um, at the end. So as I said today, we're ranking bullet train, which is the 2022 movie written by Zach Olkowitz, uh, adapted from the novel by Kotaro Isaka. And it was directed by David Leach and starred Brad Pitt. Now, we've ranked Aliens, Cliffhanger, Central Intelligence, Bloodsport, The Mummy, Predator, Hero, Iron Man, and Speed. I'm curious at what point the the list of things we've ranked already is going to become too much for me to say. <laughs> yes. We've ranked a bunch of movies. <laughs> yep. Look, look for at, yourself. Yeah, just look at the list. It'll, it'll be better than me <laughs> sitting here telling you for an hour. But Bullet Train is going to be our first modern, like really modern movie that we've ranked. Um, so it's, it's the first one that's come out post COVID it's first 2020s movie. Um, I, and I'd be curious what our listeners actually think, like modern action versus like the pre two thousands era action movies, mm-hmm. you know, like what are your expectations of which movies will end up higher in the ranking? Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you want to send us a message, I'd, I'd genuinely be curious to find out yeah. the summary of bullet train. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to let me know if I, if you think this is an apt summary, um, it's a bit of a hard movie to summarize. That's what I, I, yeah, I did it very succinctly. So mm-hmm. a thief with the code name ladybug, which hilarious by the mm-hmm. way, that his name is ladybug yeah. gets embroiled in two intersecting scheming plots while filling in for somebody else. Carver, mm-hmm. as the two competing schemes are being put into effect, ladybug has to navigate the seemingly impossible task of just getting out of it alive. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you could. This is sort of the sort of you know the summary where you could spend a lot of time talking about things that. There's so much stuff that happens in this. Yeah, you're probably just going to want to watch the movie if you want. <laughs> if you want more than that. Um. So yeah, actually, I guess before we even get into the, to the next segment here, we should tell people spoiler alert, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. We are definitely going to spoil this movie for you, and this is one that um. You probably wouldn't want to have spoiled, I would think. Yeah, yeah it's very like so part of the pleasure is in the unexpected directions it goes in. Right. So our which next funny, segment... Which is funny because oh. the train only goes in one direction. <laughs> or at least one direction at a time. Yeah. It's very linear, point I A, point B. I thought they were B. in England. Uh, yeah, they, no. They broke up, I suppose. They did. Um, 
Whew, that was a good one, John. Um, <laughs> so on to our next segment, which is potent notables. So as always, we're going to start with the box office. And we had actually discussed, we were talking about box office earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you were saying how you, you, you would have what heard that you thought it didn't do well. Is that right? I, or? It was more along the lines of it looked interesting and then I didn't hear a damn thing about it. Yeah, well, so this movie, along with a few other movies, actually um, showed a trend, mm-hmm. which has been sort of surprising in the post-COVID era, era that uh, we have started to go to movies again based on the star. Mm-hmm. So, like, star-driven vehicles actually did really well last year in in comparison to previous years, but also in comparison to, like... Um, you know, the art house movies or even, uh, yeah. Anyway, but <clears throat> obviously Brad Pitt starred in this. So he was the draw. Um, and the box office on a, had a budget of $85.9 million mm-hmm. and bullet train made $103.4 million domestically and an additional $135.9 million internationally for a grand total of $239.3 million. Mm-hmm. Now that you know, it had a large budget, but it's still a hit. You know, it, mm-hmm. it definitely recouped its money. You know, and it proved that um, having because the reviews were actually not they weren't terrible, but they weren't great either. Mm-hmm. So it showed that sort of having a star could still bring people out, and that's what people paid attention to more than right. It's interesting because you everything is so IP driven now. Right. It's interesting that maybe just people are more interested in looking at something they recognize and being like, I like them. I'm going to go see it. Yeah, exactly. It's just like um, the the one that came out with George Clooney and Julia Roberts recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what that's called. But, you know, it did pretty well. You know, so basically what, what the trend seems to be, make a middle budget movie with a star mm-hmm. and you probably get your return back. Yeah. Um, rather than having to necessarily like, obviously, if if you spend thirty million dollars, um, or what was how much did Spielberg spend on the Fablemans? I think it was thirty or forty million dollars. He said he spent thirty million dollars on therapy, right? Oh. That's what he called it. That's funny. Um, right, but you know, it's a flop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll probably make its money back and like you know, streaming and things like that. Um, so it's not like the end of the world or anything, but basically, you know those kind of pictures are, are sort of dying as far as cinema is concerned, which that mm-hmm. is really heartbreaking to me. Cause that was one of the things I loved about going to the cinema is like experiencing a wide range of emotion besides excitement. Yeah. But anyway, on to some more of the potent notables, Brad Pitt did 95% of his own stunts. Ooh, I like how they counted and uh, have an exact, you know, number. Well, what's funny about that is that I saw the same thing for Speed. And uh-huh. I said Keanu did ninety percent of his own stunts, and I was yeah. like, "Well, that's nonsense." You know, <laughs> yes, I'm, like, I'm not. I'm not including that. But I did for this one, and here's the reason why: because I know that it's got to be true. Mm-hmm. Because his stunt double wasn't available for this movie. Really? Yeah, his stunt double was the director. <laughs> is that so? Yeah, David Leach, the director of this movie, became his stunt double on Fight Club, and was like his stunt double through most of his his uh, mid-2000s career. 
well, that's what I got to do. I got to find a star. I look enough like that I can be a stunt double and uh, then maybe I can parlay that into a directing career. Yeah. It's, isn't that fascinating? So he was, a, he was a stunt double and then he became like uh, an assistant director and then the second assistant director. And then he got to direct his first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's like sort of well known for making movies kind of like bullet train. Like he was, he directed, I, I want to say dead. I don't know if he directed the first Deadpool, but he definitely directed Deadpool too. Yeah, I, also, say, I think I saw it was Deadpool too, and it, it has several, a few of the same actors in it, so that's interesting as well. Yeah, and the, I guess like action actors really like working with him. He also directed uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, did he? I yeah. I don't know who directed any of those fast movies though. Brad Pitt was actually paid twenty million dollars for this film, you know, hearkening back to our twenty yeah. million dollar actors. But I'm, I was just thinking about that, and the budget was $85.9 million, which means that the budget for the movie was really $65.9 million. Yeah, for real. You know? I mean, that's a huge chunk of the budget that one guy is taking. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I wouldn't love that. If, I mean, it's a large cast. <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah. I, would, I would feel a little weird. <laughs> Not like, like necessarily. What did everybody angry. else make? Yeah, exactly. I can't. A couple of people might have taken, well, no, not um, not pay cuts, but certainly certainly nobody else was making anywhere near that. Yeah. Well, obviously, because it mm-hmm. wasn't enough. Otherwise, it was just salaries in mm-hmm. the budget. How much did, uh, how much did, how did they ever get the, the Oceans movies made with all these guys? I've often wondered that, actually. And they must have taken, um, you know, Le- yeah, pay cuts money in general. just to work together. That, that must be it, too. But it's they say George Clooney is like crazy good at getting people together like that, so I bet you that's how it all, he like sold them on it. I could just imagine him calling up other stars and being like, "Come on," and they're like, "All right, <laughs> only like, for you, George." Yeah, no one, I'll do it, but just this one time. I really like the Ocean movies, and I'm sad they're you know several of the people involved are now dead. So yeah, it'll have I to be really Ocean like them too. Nine. Did you watch Ocean's Eight? Ocean's Eight, I did not watch. Um, I always I meant to. Seen it either. I did too. I, I had nothing against watching it. I just never ended up never watching. It. Yeah, and we talked about Sandra Bullock in the last episode. She's always a, she's always charismatic. So why not? Right. Exactly. I don't want to spoil anything for later, but there's some mm-hmm. charisma that happens at the end of this too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually a good point. A lot of the a lot of the star. I don't know much about David Leach or any of the rest of the filmmakers, but a lot of the stars in this uh, bullet train are actually quite engaging. And it's, yes. I, bet that, I bet that's hard to do with a, with a large cast because, you know, people don't get much screen time. So you really have to figure out a way to make the audience immediately want to see more of them. Oh yeah. We're going to talk about the filmmaking here. Cause his, um, I don't, you're going to think of a better word for this, but the brevity with which mm-hmm. he tells the story, mm-hmm. You, to get you engaged in their backstory is mm-hmm. like, I, I I want him to like teach a class to yeah. some directors about how to do this because it's so well done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, inter- it's interesting. I just looked up a few reviews for this because I don't remember reviews for it particularly at all, and it really did get very middling to bad reviews. Yeah, it was like fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, I know we don't like spoiling our rankings, but I don't think it was a bad enough movie to merit some of these grades I'm seeing. I know, me either. I, you know, I, I remember I was looking at the reviews for it because when you can, when you watch one movie a week, mm-hmm. yeah, you're and, more careful. 
Yeah, you got, I mean, I don't want to go see a bad movie, right? Mm-hmm. And you see the reviews, from, I'm like, man, really? It looks so promising in the mm-hmm. previews. And then I, I read one person's review that was basically like, you know, don't waste your time on these other critics. This movie is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Go see it. And you decided to just throw caution to the wind. And... Well, um, anyway, yeah, I thought it was better than the reviews. Yeah, yeah. so I, I'm not, I haven't read any of the reviews I just looked at, but I saw one that was, you know, two and a half stars, which is like middle of the pack, I know. And then right. um, one, one, one site gave it a D. <laughs> and then this I gave it another middling grade, and I was like, "This is odd. I'm just gonna move on." Yeah, I'm it's kinda... almost like it taints you, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read a lot of reviews for movies that come out, and I do a lot of like, "Is this really worth going to see?" Based on that, and I don't think seeing a lot of these reviews, I would have, re- I would have been like, "Yeah, you would have been like, yeah, I'm not gonna go see it." I almost didn't mm-hmm. because of those reviews. And thankfully, there was that one critic that was just like, listen, mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're going to have a good time. Go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting because obviously this was filmed. This was one of the first projects that started during COVID because it was mm-hmm. filmed um, from late 2020 into 2021. And essentially, what I find really fascinating about this, and I think you might find this fascinating too it was actually only shot on two sound stages in la on the sony lot like a throwback to like really old movies that just did everything on the lot yeah you know do you know how they manage that because a lot of it a lot of the parts where they're like look like they're in tokyo they look like they're in tokyo so i I get i get being able to do it for a train but yeah so they that was all staging all staging and um and then the the only thing they did do is they sent like a, a small crew to japan mm-hmm. when they could just to get filming of uh and it was actually uncredited because mm-hmm. it was like they didn't get permission to shoot in japan they just went to japan <laughs> and took some imagery of yeah. uh of like what it would look like the trains going past you know for the mm-hmm. windows yeah but they did it in cars mm-hmm. so they actually had to speed it up and they just used LED screens on the outside of the train. Oh my god! And of course, so cool. yeah, isn't that neat? And it, you know, this train is supposed to be like what, 19 cars long, right? Mm-hmm. But they only had room for two train cars. <laughs> so, that, so they had to change out the set pieces all the time. That that's some like good old fashioned movie making magic, you know? I know it's so cool, isn't it? And you wouldn't watch it and necessarily think that it looks it looks good enough that you think they're just filming it on. Uh, either using more advanced technology or actually filming it on trains or something. Yeah. And I mean, actually, so the technology portion of this, right. So you do see, you, you do like pan out at times and you see the train speeding through um, Tokyo, Japan, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that was all CGI. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't help. What I was thinking when I was watching that is like how far we've come. Yeah, in that aspect of CGI, because that was essentially the same thing that um, Stephen Summers was trying to do with the Mummy. With the Mummy at the very beginning, with, yeah. In the very beginning, and now they were able to do that and make it look realistic. Uh, yeah, I didn't even notice in this case that it even yeah. might have been CGI, and we very much noticed that it was CGI with the Mummy. So <laughs> right, I I mean when you're watching it, it looks like they just took like some spy cam, you know, like drone shots basically of mm-hmm. of uh, 
of bullet trains. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's just it's all computer graphics, and it's just incredible. Well, that's that's a good example of the seamless sort of integration of computer graphics that you and I have been praising, and um, you know, been been cautious about the overuse of computer graphics. But here, it's like the perfect way to actually integrate it into into real footage and by real footage here obviously we mean set sets and sound stages but well right but there's again we have a lot of kinetic energy in this movie mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. and then it's so much practical effects because you're on the stage mm-hmm. so they it, it, you're right it's a it's a good marriage of of computer graphics and and practical effects um and you know there are certain things that it's probably i imagine i don't know that it's much easier to use cgi4 like making people's faces with cgi is still difficult and i know in in certain movies involving dinosaurs um that we may or may not get to at some point they did a lot of well yeah they uh up close shots of dinosaurs they still used puppets and uh animatronics and so forth because it's easier to get the realistic detail and it's more wide shots that you use for computers that use computers for i should say sorry and a landscape is like a perfect place to use your CGI because we're not right. we're not we're not questioning it. You don't need to see. Time. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's actually what hurts the mummy is that they tried to show people moving in this world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas, like when you see the ones in Bullet Train, you don't necessarily see anybody. Nobody needs to move. You don't need to see that type of action. You just need to see the landscape and then a train moving through it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Very clever, um, very clever use, regardless of whatever else you think of the movie. Right, exactly. But uh, there, you know, the fight scene in the snack cart mm-hmm. that they have. Uh, here, here's some interesting poet notable for you. You can actually see a bottle of Miraval wine. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about Miraval wine? I'm going to assume that it's that it's like Pitt's Vineyard or something like that. It is. It's the vineyard that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie own together. They still own it together? They didn't. They did until um. <laughs> Angelina Jolie in 2021 sold her shares. Now, well. according to Brad Pitt, she wasn't supposed to sell her shares without getting consent. Mm-hmm. That was like a deal that they had struck in their divorce. Mm-hmm. According to him, she disagrees, and now they're in a lawsuit about it. <laughs> and uh, she's countersued because he, she claims he's a domestic abuser. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. So, I don't mean to laugh at domestic abuse. It's just that's a that's a fun situation for everyone involved yeah so it's just sort of interesting you see this this you know wine in the movie which is clearly product placement right Mm -hmm. he's like well if you're gonna put wine put mine in there and Mm -hmm. then like three months later after after the shooting is done um now it's like a big issue so yeah i don't think we'll just move on from the wine to go back to you know this project being done during covid Actually, um, the producer, who's Kelly McCormick and David Leach, decided on this as a project because they felt like they could do this on a soundstage. Hmm. So they wanted a project that, that could be contained and therefore get going sooner and safer. Um, so this was one of the first projects that got underway after COVID. That makes that. sense. They don't, they don't have to walk around Tokyo around big crowds and everything like that. And right. the, movie, the movie also moves to Kyoto. But um it is interesting, though, that they're all stuck on a soundstage inside these little train sets 
not train sets like train sets, but sets made to look like trains <laughs> and train cars, I should say. And I assume everybody was like tested and, you know, somewhat yeah. quarantined so that they could all just be in close proximity to each other. They did test twice a day. So they oh, did wow. test before they went on set and then test when they were leaving. Well, I guess that's relatively safe. Well, so here's sort of what I'm thinking is like the reason they were even allowed to is because they were considered essential workers, which mm-hmm. is kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, but also, wasn't there like a period of time where there was like a shortage of uh, tests? Tests, yeah, I think so. So they're taking their entire crew and cast is taking two tests a day. Seems. That's a lot of tests. <laughs> yeah. So well, anyway, go ahead. No, I was just, I just said, well, that's all. Oh, okay. Um, oh, anyway. Yeah. So in David Leach, David Leach's estimation, this movie was all about fate, which mm-hmm. you know, that's plays a pretty common uh, role in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why, it, you know, we get the story as told from the point of view of the water bottle at one mm-hmm. point. Yeah. <laughs> because he wanted to use it as a symbol of fate and how mm-hmm. everything is connected. I think it worked pretty well, actually. I think so, too. I uh, laughed out loud when, when that part <laughs> happened. I was like, this is this is just too too good. And by good, I just mean too, like, much in a good way. So, Brad Pitt has self-diagnosed himself with uh, prosopagnosia. Do you know? Do you, have you heard about this? I, I have not heard about that at all. Um, I don't know if I said that right, but it basically means that uh, it's a condition that impairs the ability to recognize familiar faces, including one's own face. Wow. He has said in interviews that just as just as his character does, he needs to remember the context and the situation in which he has met someone in order to remember who that person is. That is odd. Isn't that strange? I like, sorry, I can't help it, but I, I feel like it's, I don't know. I don't know what word to use here to describe it, but mm-hmm. I'm just—he's probably one of the most handsome men on the face of the planet, yeah. right? And he can't recognize himself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. That's like, ironic, I suppose. Yeah, it's a just an interesting thing. Um, so Sandra Bullock, not to uh, to give anything away, but she she is in, in this movie, which was surprising. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I watched it once in the theater, and then I watched it again before we did this. And when I was watching it, I'm like, "Oh, I hear her voice now. now oh, yeah. I, like I can hear that it's her voice." I um, absolutely, I absolutely could not place her. I was like, I feel like I should know who this person's voice is, but I don't have any idea. I don't know if they modified it at all, or she just was like. I think she purposely like spoke really softly. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought, I thought it might have been Kate Blanchett at first. I was just who popped into my head, but. That would have been a good surprise too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, her her name, the character's name, is actually a nod to the original title of the novel. Okay. The original title of the novel is Maria Beetle, like oh, yeah. one word, and her name in this is Maria Beetle, two words. <laughs> cool. Um, I wanted to read that book. Maybe I still will. Um, and so my last potent notable is during one of the action sequences, Aaron Taylor Aaron Taylor Johnson who plays uh, Tangerine, mm-hmm. he got a chunk taken out of his hand and oh, passed geez. out almost immediately. 
he says this was due to a quote mad keto diet uh end quote i'm not sure who i was impersonating there um it's like mr bean or something which <laughs> which lowered his blood sugar so obviously he you know passed out quick because of it but when he came to as he tells it quote should we go again <laughs> and they were like no 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 <laughs> <laughs> you got to go get stitches at the hospital. Yeah. So then I spent a night in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the movie overview. Mm. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, having seen the movie already, you know, he's, he's in the hospital and it's actually like a really sad thing that his son is in this, like little son is, is uh, in the hospital after being pushed off the roof. But it, I, what it, I thought wasn't go ahead. It starts in a really intense way, huh? Yeah, it's very intense. It's like, okay, this is like a tragedy I didn't realize was a big part of this movie, but sure. Um, but then they, they do some foreshadowing, which mm -hmm. I, I don't even know if I really noticed. I mean, they bring it back later. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, if they hadn't like mentioned it again later, I don't know that I would have even remembered it. Yeah. But they show the boom slang being stolen from the zoo. I actually did notice that. And I was like, I feel like that's going to be important. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep an eye on any, for any uh, for any exotic snakes, I guess. <laughs> um, I also felt like it was kind of messed up that the grandfather comes in, you know, says to the dad, "Where were you? Where was his father?" Yeah, jeez, dude. Yeah, no, it's a really kid's heavy in the hospital. Like it's a heavy opening because not just because the kid has been pushed. First of all, that's just grotesque being pushed off yeah. the roof. Yeah, and and a child, you know, almost dead, and um, then like this this tension between father and son, where this uh, by which I mean the elder and whatever they call the son. Yeah, I can't remember now. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just the son. I thought, but it doesn't matter. Where like, oh, I was like, this is this is like a intense movie suddenly i thought it was like a fun joyride kind of thing but no i'm here you know watching this guy feel like a worthless son and a worthless father you know yeah and you know actually i think the fact that they spend time in this hospital room doing this mm -hmm. um really helps you hate the villain yeah oh absolutely you see the you see the kid like yeah it's fucked up it is a, like a really fucked up plan mm-hmm um, and then, so then we cut to, uh, to Brad Pitt, right. Who's doing his charming best. Yeah. Um, I love that ladybug is his code name. That's really funny. I, uh, rewatched this bit, bit of the movie. I skipped the part of the hospital, not because I didn't like it, but because, you know, it was intense and not, and not yeah. part of it, but I rewatched the, uh, basically starting with him walking through, through to the train station into when uh, some part and when he gets on the train, just because I enjoyed how, how it was filmed and, and framed. I, yeah, it was really well done. It's, it's so weird to me that I'm having trouble recon reconciling some of these bad reviews because it's fun to look at regardless of anything else. Yeah. It, yeah. i the reviews made no sense and it made me like, it's one of those things where then we've talked about how like, I feel like critics often will be like judging it as if it's got to be saving private Ryan. Yeah. 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 To get decent reviews. And I just don't understand it. Cause like, I don't know how you can watch this movie and be like, this is shit. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I don't get it. Uh, yeah. Regardless of anything else, it's fine. You know, and like forgettable good time. And 
I don't know. I just this this sequence really kind of typifies that for me because I really love how they do the soundtrack in this movie too. It's a lot of different, I guess, covers of popular songs. Right, in different languages. In different languages, and it starts with this Japanese version of Staying Alive that really, really works for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it sets the I felt mood that way too, well. actually, through the whole movie. The soundtrack works so well with this mm-hmm. movie. So I again, that's why I rewatched it. I was just like, "This is fun." I'm gonna, I'm gonna, because I was too busy looking at it and enjoying it to really pay attention to what the hell he was saying on the phone there. So I was like, "I'm just gonna watch this again." It's funny that you say that because actually this happened to me where because usually you know I'm taking notes throughout the whole mm-hmm. movie, and I found it hard to take notes because I was so like invested in the movie. Yeah, so it's um, engaging if nothing else. Yeah, um, I actually forgot that they gave away the bad guy so quickly, mm-hmm. Prince, as she's called. So, yeah, let's talk about how much I fucking hated her. For real. She was terrible. I mean, in, in like, like, I don't want to give rankings away, but I don't mean terrible as in, like, the actress was terrible. Mm-hmm. The character was terrible. Yeah, the character was reprehensible. Yeah. Which a lot, you know, a number of bad people are in this movie because they're all assassins and bad guys. Right, yeah. But there's a different level. A lot of them are operating on a... I don't want to be like, ooh, they're honorable assassins in that tradition, but, you know, there's doing a job and there's being cruel. Yes. Yes, I agree. Uh, that's a good way to put it, actually. Um, and then, you know, soon after we find out the, the you know, the bad guy here, um, or bad girl, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, we get to be entertained with the banter between Lemon and Tangerine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love their banter. Like I enjoyed the blood on his shirt banter, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, they, they have so much good, quick, smart banter that it's like hard to remember even what a lot of their best lines I know, were. I know, but it, and it, but it's not quick banter in like the way that it's super witty, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. where you're like, I don't buy that they would just come up with something like this to say so quick, like an Aaron Sorkin, um, you know, written thing. I, I always think of Dawson's Creek, which was a kind of a fun show, but it's just so like no one has all these references and witty things just off the top of their head. It's just <laughs> I've actually never seen Dawson's Creek. Uh, Gilmore Girls can be like that a lot too, to to speak of WB shows from the nineties. <laughs> and it's like it's fun to watch, but it's not particularly realistic. This is actually fun, quick, witty banter that's more realistic because it's based on a lot of personal things between them. Right. And not so much like random references and, you know, facts that people don't have at their fingertips. Except right. for maybe the Thomas the Tank Engine stuff. Well, but but it's not like a whole bunch of references as well as Thomas the Tank Engine. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. that clearly he's really into Thomas the Tank Engine. Which is a hilarious thing to have this assassin guy <laughs> just be way into. And uh, the Aaron Taylor Johnson character being like, really, again with this? I know. I know. And he's like, oh, you brought your stickers, you know? Yeah, he's like, I always and he's like, stickers. yeah, I always bring my stickers. You know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the two, the two of them were delightful as well. That's yeah. the other thing. A lot of the performances in this movie really carry it regardless of anything else because it's fun. I don't know if they're having fun, but they look like they are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I thought so. It made it. it it's yeah, it was just fun to be like a part of. You, you feel like you're a part of it. Mm hmm. And it's the kinetic energy of the movie, I think, that that helps with making you feel like you're a part of it. And yet, um, also, and yet, also contained in a personal space of the right. train car. So, like, you're very much in there with those people. It's not also, 
Oh, sorry. it's not like flying around and you know going to all these different places. Everybody's everybody is within earshot of each other for a lot of the movie. Right, right. I um also the so the the son that they mm-hmm. that they grab who uh, Lemon assigns Percy. To, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, but that's the actor who plays Percy Jackson. Is it? Yeah, which I think I is really funny. Um, so I like that. The, so then they they do these like Family Guy style cutaways. You mm-hmm. know? They're not Family Guy style in that they actually reference the plot of the movie. Yeah, it's not yeah. absurd non sequiturs. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, this was our first, really our first one, right, where they cut mm-hmm. to how they got that guy because mm-hmm. they're arguing over how many kills there were. Yeah, and it's got, it's 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 the sort of thing if handled wrong, it can feel really stupid. Right. For them, to, for them to turn to the camera and mention the number of kills. Yeah. Because they're counting, but it, it I felt like it, it was so good though. It works because it's in their you're you're almost kind of in their memory. Right. And they're turning to one another and being like, remember that was two and so forth. So it works, and a lot of things, I suppose, I can justify some of the bad reviews in that. If it doesn't work for you, it's never going to work for you. It's not like the movie's going to redeem itself at any point because it continues to be that. That's that's an interesting point. But it worked for me from from the first moment, so I was I was invested and I was there. I was like, I'll go right. along with this. I just yeah, I thought that was so great because you're right. It's it's them remembering and then counting to each other, so that mm-hmm. they're looking at each other, they're not looking at the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then they get to number seventeen, the innocent bystander. Mm-hmm. That was that was the director. Oh, that was him. Yeah, that was, was David Brad, Leach. That was Brad Pitt's body double. That was Brad Pitt's body double getting blown up. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I was actually I've been thinking, looking at the cast. There's a, a few people who are in this and in Deadpool too, and it's actually really funny that he puts himself in there. And another little cameo that I guess maybe we shouldn't mention until we get there. Not that it's important, but it's just it's fun to see who it is. And yeah. Exactly. And, and not to and not to spoil Deadpool too, but there's that really weird, funny cameo that Brad Pitt is in it just randomly for two seconds. Exactly. Yeah. Where he, where he plays the invisible guy or whatever, and then it's just like, wait a second. Was, I remember being in the theater in Deadpool too and being like, was that Brad Pitt? It was like a, just a second of his face. Maybe he would not have been able to recognize himself though, just in that quick context. It may, and it makes sense because this is not like a Deadpool movie, but it has a lot of the same kind of energy. Yeah, irreverent humor. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but more grounded. I think this movie's more grounded than you might think, to be perfectly honest. Oh, yeah. Well, because Deadpool's, I mean, it's very, like, break mm. the fourth wall. They, exactly. they never did that in this. Yeah. You could argue that the scene where they're counting the deaths is breaking the fourth wall. But, again, like you said, I think they're talking to each other, not to the mm. audience. Yeah, they're not, they don't overplay that, where, right. like, constantly people are turning to us and talking, which can work. But in this instance, it's wise to shy away from it rather than... Right. Well, if you were going to do it, then you wouldn't do it in a cutscene. Like if mm-hmm. you were going to do it throughout, that wouldn't be the time you would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoyed the line. I can't even remember who said it or at what point it was. It was around this time, but that's a lot of white deaths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there, there are a lot, so many little, little things that were charming and fun and then they don't linger over them, you know? It's just a fun line, and everybody and they deliver it well, and then and then we're on to the next thing because this bullet train, of course, it spends one minute at every station and then it's gone. So, 
Yeah, and so so smart that they like threw that in there, you know. It, so that it, you can always kind of keep that in mind as you're watching these stops. It it adds a great little very realistic um caveat, I guess, to everything, like an added difficulty, you know. Right. And and you can buy that he's not able to get off because of that. Yeah, because it's it's very brief and he's, you know. And I thought that they would actually do a little bit more when I was watching from the beginning that they would do a little bit more with the train cars being inaccessible at various times. Mm. I think I might have been thinking of it like a video game where certain areas don't open up until later in the game. Um, <laughs> I don't know why exactly, except for it reminded me a little bit of a video game I do play called The Last Express that takes place on the Orient Express. And you're confined to a train and you can't get into certain places because the conductor will come over and be like, oh, I'm sorry, sir, this is off limits right now. And I thought that they were going to go in that direction because of Brad Pitt not having a ticket. Right. And he's avoiding the conductor, which is funny because the conductor is not big, tough guy. The conductor is like smaller, smaller guy, but, but, but he doesn't want to make a scene. You know? He doesn't want to make a scene. And I, w- I felt a little bit bad when he was getting yelled at by the conductor, just because the conductor was so like, no, you don't have a ticket. I know. I'm like, I, I got his point. He's like, well, the receipt shows I bought a ticket. Yeah. 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 One stop. And okay. we also see the the son character, you know, the the elder's son. I'm not sure what to refer to him as. I think he was uh, called the son, so I think you're right. All right, well we'll call we'll call him the son then. I he has a first class ticket, so he's able to go into whatever they call it, reserved first class or whatever. Right. As does um, the prince character. So I thought like those two characters have a first class ticket, ish, whatever they call it, and. Maria even says that there are, there are 10 reg- regular cars and six, rever- re- you know, first class, whatever. And I was like, oh, so he's going to have trouble getting into the first class area to see them. That never really comes back. And I wonder if it's because with just the two train car sets, you have to be very economical in how you film the scenes because you don't want to have to redo the entire thing again, like later in the day. Right. I was actually, it was, I was going to, point that out to you mm-hmm. while, like with you this point that you're bringing up so yeah. yeah i think that's exactly what it is um so that that was just like a little tiny thing that i was like i thought they were going to go in that direction but it doesn't matter um i would have liked a little bit more of a sense in in my own mind of how the train cars are laid out because occasionally it's like they're walking through them and i'm not sure which where one, they are where yeah. they are exactly but that's yeah. that's, a, that's a small a very small thing and they did a good job generally of keeping you in keeping you informed about temporal position and relative position in the train. So it, demanding like a map or something wouldn't have worked. It might that it'd be interesting to read the book and see if they if it's organized a little bit more as far as I'm sure it is because you, know. you have the opportunity in the written word to be like this is the layout of the train. Well, so. plus on the, with a, on the you know printed page, right? You mm-hmm. can print a map. Yeah, exactly. So, um, not a big deal though. So I, I think this goes to, you know, go, we're talking about economical filmmaking, right? Mm -hmm. And then there are so many elements in this where you see that economical filmmaking, but put to good use, Mm -hmm. right? Like the backstory of bad bunny Mm -hmm. or the wolf, whatever you want to call them. Um, I think it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's just a whole bunch of like short vignettes, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a couple like, of seconds of, of you know his life. 
Right. It shows you kind of how he got to where he is, why he's like considered a badass. And then so like why people should be afraid of him. And then at the same time, um, you know, what his motivation is. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I know you texted me that you don't like that motivation for, for it, man. Why don't, why don't you tell the listeners exactly how you <laughs> feel about that? Well, I was I was a little bit conflicted at this point in the movie because I have limited sympathy for assassins and hired killers um because i feel like if you are a you know a contract killer and your family is killed by another contract killer you just sort of have to be like well fair because i if i was hired to kill your entire family i would but i'm not sure that that's quite quite realistic to expect these people to just be like oh well you know my 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 wife was killed at our wedding oh well Still, well, like, like I said, I just have uh, a limited capacity to sympathize too much. I feel like you need some self-awareness, which I think Brad Pitt's character does have. He's working on self-awareness, so that's good. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting how much uh, a wife has played into the motivation of, uh, of a couple of these characters. But mm-hmm. um, I do think, so to sort of... I guess juxtapose against how you're feeling about the contract killing part of it. Mm-hmm. I would think that, you know, what might make somebody more angry is that they didn't get killed with them. With them. Yeah. Is it actually, that's a great point. Is that primarily why he's mad at Brad Pitt's character? Or I guess I'll call him ladybug because we, we learn later that ladybug is the one who prevented with the wolf from being killed because ladybug he spilled the wine on him him he doesn't drink the poison wine and is that sort of part of it like well no because it wasn't the wine wasn't poisoned it was the pastries oh you're right but either way if he stopped him from basically having that happen because he was chasing after the or he was going to change his suit or i don't remember exactly what it was but he left because of the wine yeah um I would have liked a little bit more with the wolf, despite I know I kind of complain about him as a character. He he's gone very quick. We we get the quick, the really cool overview of his entire life, practically from his him being a kid, and right. then he's and then he's dead. So that's I, you know I felt like he was actually not. You could have cut him from the movie, and it wouldn't have been that big a deal. Yeah, I agree. I I actually was thinking that while we were talking, I didn't think about that until this moment while we were talking about him. Mm-hmm. I'm like. What purpose did he actually serve? Yeah. I, I wonder we'll if we'll have he, to think about it as we're going through this a little bit. I get the impression he might have had either a bigger role in the book and they cut it or an earlier version of the movie and they cut it slash potentially a deleted scene or two where it's important. Because the only thing I know of is that he's trying to kill Brad Pitt with the knife and Brad Pitt has Oh, he's later. there to bring the picture of the oh, hornet. Of the, of the hornet, yes. So that's what it is. There's probably an easier way to get him that picture without wasting yeah. time on a character but the it was still it, good i think it was, it was a good, good scene yeah and I'm, I'm not like this is nitpicky stuff you know right but i do wonder if he would have been better to cut entirely although he's a huge star so they might have just wanted him in the movie yeah i think it so and 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 then the fight scene they have is is really good too i enjoyed oh, yeah. that and it's i don't want to get too far into a ranking category, but mm-hmm. one thing that I just, I absolutely loved this. I feel like there's a lot of lines in this that like, you know, 1994 Keanu would have made 
horrible mm-hmm. or 1994 Dennis Hopper or oh. maybe any year Dennis Hopper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Brad Pitt, he's like, he's like in this fight that he doesn't want to be in with bad bunny Mm -hmm. bad bunny is like, I will never stop coming for you. And he's just like, what? Why? Yeah. I enjoyed his, I don't even know you. (laughs) Who are you? And that was, that was a really, it was a really fun fight for that reason, actually. And kind of unique in that, like Brad Pitt is just trying desperately to be like, I, what, why? I don't, I don't. Yeah. We don't need to to, do this. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to be stabbed, but I also don't want to stab you. Like, can we just stop? (laughs) And if and it fits in perfectly with his when he's introduced, he's he's attempting to like bring balance to his life and not have right. such such drama. And then he's just thrust into immediate thrust into just crazy intricate drama. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hilarious. Um and then and then of course, you know, then he heads down, he he sits down with uh with Lemon, mm-hmm. right? And he, he's bluffing him on the gun and everything. And he's like, You don't recognize me? <laughs> and then Lemon's like, "You look like every white homeless man I've ever seen." <laughs> another, another really great line. And he does look homeless at that point. <laughs> and the two, the two of them actually, it's it's a great scene because they play off each other really well. It's a it's a great little like poker playing scene. You called it, you know, they're bluffing, right. and they absolutely are. Sort of, they don't take their eyes off of each other, and it's like a, a really well acted scene. And that's another that's another thing about this movie is that the actual acting is generally very good across the board. Yeah, in being exactly what it needs to be. I don't know much about most of these actors, but so maybe they they're not going to win any awards or anything. But they do a well, great job of doing what they're supposed to do. Aaron Taylor Johnson was in uh, Kickass. He was Kickass. Mm-hmm. Well, he was Kickass. Yeah, isn't that funny? Has he gotten bulkier since then? Yes, a lot. <laughs> I don't recognize. I did not recognize him from that movie. He also was Quicksilver in the Marvel universe. Oh, really? Yep. Um, so not not the X-Men universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Marvel one. Yep. And then um he he was also in <sighs> Nocturnal Animals. Do you remember that movie with Michael Shannon, ironically? Yeah. Um and I think was it Amy Adams, I want to say was in it? Yeah, I wanted to see that when it came out, and then I forgot it existed. <laughs> It's a weird movie. I watched yeah. it. It's, it's good. It's, it's weird, though. Um, so, yeah. So, I think he has some really good acting. I believe he... I don't know if he won the Golden Globe, um, but I'm pretty sure he was nominated for the Oscar, a supporting actor for Nocturnal Animals. Or maybe Ooh. maybe it was just Michael Shannon. But anyway, yeah, he's a good actor. And then Brian Tyree Henry, who plays mm-hmm. uh, Lemon, he... Start, he like his first probably breakout role, at least from what I know him from, is the uh, show Atlanta with Donald Glover. Oh, is he in that? Yeah, he plays the the rapper that Donald Glover is like trying to become a manager for. I did not know that. Um, that that I don't know anything. I have avoided watching that show because I want to watch it like for real. So. I do want I so I watched the first season. Mm-hmm. Sarah and I did. Um, but I haven't seen anything since then, and I've, I find it very disappointing that I haven't continued watching it. Yeah, the last um, season got a lot of a lot of praise. I mean, by which I mean the final season. Right. Well, and I mean Donald Glover is seriously talented. I mean, just mm-hmm. a really talented guy. I he makes me mad with how talented he is because I want to do. I want to be good at any of the one things that he does, and he does multiple things really well. <laughs> I know it doesn't seem fair. No, no, no. <laughs> did you watch Community? I watched it occasionally. Not. Not much. That was like Sarah and I's favorite show for a while. Mm-hmm. 
We loved that show. Um, it looks anyway, so funny. It's really good. And Donald, that's where we were introduced to Donald Glover. And then I'm like, oh, he was like a he was a writer on Thirty Rock. I wouldn't mm-hmm. known that while he was still in college. So yeah. he was like going to college full time and writing for the for Thirty Rock mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Tina Fey. I mean, like that's anyway. that's exactly what I'm jealous of. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but but anyway, the point is is that these guys are very good at the back and forth banter. I love the running joke with the twins. They're called the twins occasionally, and yeah, Brad Pitt is a little annoyed that they're called the twins because <laughs> it's like they're not twins. They're not twins. Um, and I like the fact that they're a little, or at least Lemon is confused about their code names. Another fun thing. <laughs> Um, I also I loved that they jumped again into like um, the backstory right mm-hmm, vignette mm-hmm. for Johannesburg mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt gets shot that first shot he just goes ow ow yeah <laughs> I know they're just it crazy. reminded me of Fight Club when he was like ow why the ear man yeah yeah <laughs> that's not a throwback I'm sure because it's just too small a moment but it, right I don't think it's a throwback it just sort of reminded me of it it no I think actually. This movie has some; it shares some visual and structural elements with Fight Club, frankly. And I had not thought of it until this second. <laughs> as far um, as as far as visually, a lot of uh, a lot of the you ever notice that Fight Club takes place a lot at night and yeah, sort of a lot of I'm trying to describe the lighting, but the lighting reminds me of it. Uh, maybe, Maybe I'll learn. I'll go learn about movies and be able to describe what what about the lighting in these two actually reminds me of one another. But then there's a lot of like cutaways, a lot of like you keep saying, little vignettes that explain things. Um, there are even moments in Fight Club where Brad Pitt turns to the camera and says something. So right, tell him about the the clam chowder. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, the the cutaways and the vignettes. Um, you know, you wonder because that's where. Um, David Leach got it. Got his start right. Mm-hmm. He became a stunt double for Brad Pitt. I wonder if he's just like took a lot of like was basically taking notes on David Fincher, which would be a good idea. It would be a good idea, and that that we should do that movie at some point. Well, it's not considered an action movie, but it's called Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> but its genre it's, is not action. You're right. It's more club than fight, I suppose. <laughs> We could we could put that out as a poll. That's okay, okay. Let's 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 wait and and see what the what the people say. Yeah. Oh, uh, so I, where are we here though? Well, they're banter. You know, they're going. Brad Pitt and Lemon are going back and forth with where they started fighting. And I I wrote this one down just because there's so many lines here. I just I really enjoyed this one um, where Brad Pitt's like trying to get him to like be sort of zen about it. You mm-hmm. know, um, and then. Lemon interrupts him real quick. Every day's a fucking headache with you, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> that was another delightful little charming line that I was like, it, I bet, you know, that that actually really does a good job of painting Lemon as someone who can who can pin people quickly, which it comes in important later. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good point, actually. I didn't think about it like that. I just thought it was funny, but it is it is good. It does help build towards his character. Um I also really enjoyed the the they were in the quiet car and then that played a role <laughs> in their fight. And they just like kept smiling back at this woman like bloody. Uh-huh. <laughs> You'd think she would have noticed at one of these points but whatever. And then uh, I'm not a diesel, you're a diesel. Yeah, back and forth. <laughs> like the... so offended yeah. by being called a diesel. 
But it's, it's also funny because the diesel part comes back later, too. Yeah. It actually plays a really big role. Mm-hmm. And then Brad Pitt, you know, is like, I think it's when he sees the snake. He's like, mm-hmm. fuck this man. Fuck Carver. <laughs> yeah, for real. You know, uh, just a quick analysis part. The diesel, of course, most trains are, most trains in the U.S. run on diesel now. I don't know. They might be electric in, in Japan. But I think the whole um, train is electric. That probably is the case then. But uh, here we have a lot of diesel trains, and diesel is the newer technology that trains run on if you're going by diesel and, say, coal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of... Remember, we, uh, I suppose, suppose we shouldn't get into um, lemon and tangerines ch- childhoods that we see quickly, but Thomas the Tank Engine runs on coal, right? Right. Which is more of a old world kind of romantic throwback and diesel is the bad guy because diesel is right. newer, less fun, less romantic. Yeah. No, I, yeah. That's kind a, of a, kind of a, I, I lost my own point there. Toward the end. Well, cause, because the diesel that it ends up, that we've, you know, the little girls, the diesel, right. Mm-hmm. Newer. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but so then we continue on and we meet Channing Tatum. Because mm-hmm. of course he's in this movie and is super hot for Brad Pitt or I, just anybody. And Aaron Taylor Johnson, he's got a great yeah. walk. Yeah, he's got a great walk. It's just this random part that Jennings Tatum is is random, randomly there, and possibly into sex stuff. <laughs> I love how he's immediately wait—is this sex stuff? Because I'm, I'm weirded out, but also intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> such a such a such a such a weird person to be in it suddenly. I had no idea. I was like, wait, what is that? Was wasn't even sure I recognized him at first. I forgot he was in it. I remember thinking, I remember finding him hilarious mm-hmm. when I watched it in the theater. And then I was like, when he shows up, I'm like, oh, right, Channing Tatum. And mm-hmm. I had forgotten like what he did in it. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, that's right. He's just, you know, super ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's another thing is a lot of the, a lot of the cameos that might come across as stupid actually kind of work just because of the way they're thrown in and, it doesn't end up mattering, but it's a, you know. Yeah. It's like somebody that you would have, like somebody from the bus on uh, speed would have had that role normally, but instead they just kind of gave it to Channing Tatum. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure why it works when it might come off as hokey and like, I think because they, the film for whatever reason does a good job of not being like, look, it's Channing Tatum. He's just there. Well, so it's one of those things where like, if they had had somebody that we don't know that well, mm-hmm. try to do those lines, it would have mm-hmm. just been like, okay. Yeah. But because it's Channing Tatum, it's funnier. Mm-hmm. You just don't expect it out of him. Yeah. I think that, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I, lo- I love that Channing Tatum is a, a large athletic guy, but he doesn't, he's not there to be a badass. Right. And it, and it kind of, it's kind of a good twist on it. Like he's scared and weirded out, but also into it. And I, I love that he's willing to p- just play this stupid little role where he's potentially willing to do sex stuff with the two of them. <laughs> I love that he keeps calling it sex stuff, which is why I keep calling it that. <laughs> I know. He keeps, is this the set? Is this the sex stuff? Is this the sex stuff? I do like a man with an accent. <laughs> yeah. Or I do like an accent, I believe he says. Yeah, that's right. He does. He doesn't specify. He could yeah. like anybody <laughs> with an accent. Um, really, anyone could sit down and be like, do you want to make some money? And he'd be like, maybe. <laughs> Um, I did think 
that so you know so Brad Pitt's lady ladybug is blocked off one of the mm-hmm. train cars right so to help him get away um I did think it was actually a clever because like they all have these guns right and I'm like are you really gonna fire them because mm-hmm. there's still a bunch of people on this train obviously it's not gonna go well right yeah yeah and they never end up doing it except for one time and he like steals this kid's stuffed animal to do it yeah. so you don't hear which I thought was you know. It was, it was a, kept that. Going. No, yeah, it was a clever way of that he blocked off the car, and that was a clever way for him to fix it. Right. And um, is, but, that, uh, is that the only time that a, a gun is fired on the train? Um, that's a good question. And no, it gets. I mean, up until the final showdown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that at that point it kind of goes off the rails. Or no, no, another time. Is the it's it's how Tangerine dies. Oh, you're right. That's toward the end, though. Anyway, when, yeah, that's when oh, that, the, the train is empty. The train's empty at that other point. Other people, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, well, that's Cause, that's because the white death has bought out all the tickets, which I didn't quite get. Like, yeah, I'm I like that's it. not how trains work. I don't. You think. can't. Yeah, you can't buy seats from under people. You know, you yeah. have to get off now because someone else bought you the seat that you're in. It's like what? But that's okay. It was it was it's a great moment at any rate when when Tangerine looks around and is like, oh shit, the train is empty. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even realize. And then we get back to, you know, to the, the ultimate bad person in the movie here mm-hmm. who is a little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I'm like, the whole, every time I see him, I'm just like, man, this is just so twisted that you fucking pushed a little kid off a roof. Yeah, and that's obviously what they're going for with the fact that she's tiny and the fact that she's wearing this cutesy outfit, but she's a, she's a, reprehensible and it fits in with what we learn about her later right right um and so now you know and then the white death is just bugging tangerine and lemon but mostly tangerine right yeah to uh to prove that he's that he's got the now dead son Mm -hmm. and the money that he also does not have Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i love that he goes out there and he's just like I can't remember what he said. He's like, I was expecting to see this, but instead I've got an eighties dance off. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the gang that comes to meet him and like try to intimidate him is, is very much like it's that the gang from Michael Jackson's badge video, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's also like, you know, these are hired hitmen. They're not going to be intimidated by you. You know? Yeah. So you may as well have a little joke at their expense. Is that the one where they're doing the punch and Judy where? Yeah. It's the punch and Judy where, where he's, manipulating Weekend of Bernie style. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't look convincing at all, but we also, we also find out later that that doesn't matter. <laughs> right. He's supposed to die. So like, it makes sense that it, that it didn't matter, like that it worked because yeah, they don't really care. It's funny how quickly Tangerine and Lemon's whole thing goes off the rails for them. I, it's like immediate. Where, where's the case? And the I case lo- is gone. They go to talk about the case. They come back and the son's dead. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, this is this has gone south very, very quickly. I love, <laughs> I love the scene with the case. We're past that, but just to go back to it quick, where he's like, where's he tells Lemon, go get the case, and we only see Lemon through the door of the train into the next. Yeah, department. and he's like, what the? Yeah, you can he's tell he's throwing like freaking case, out. He's throwing luggage around, and we can't really hear him. We just see him throwing lu- luggage. It's a, it's a nice visual moment. It is, yeah, because we know Brad Pitt's taking it. Because uh, he found the train, mm-hmm. Thomas the train tank engine. You mm-hmm. know? Um, but uh, yeah, and then you know we see um, 
the prince go past her her brother who we don't know it's her brother at the at this moment yet but um yeah she clearly does not like him very much as she spits in his face which i'm just like that's weird mm. you did that to this guy you're mad dead. at this random dead guy <laughs> yeah and the combo ends up being 807 mm-hmm. right which was a reference to the 87 north production company that's the Oh, yep. Fair. So, um, so now we're, we've gotten to another fight scene. This is between Ladybug and Tangerine, and I mm. love that they stop when mm-hmm. the woman, the you know, attendant comes in. Yeah. And then he asks for the sparkling water, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then he has Tangerine pay for it. For and then it. Tangerine complains to him about it being ten quid. It's, it's it's another delightful moment, and I love I love the way Brad Pitt looks at. At Tangerine is just like, oh, I don't have, I don't have any money. You'll, you'll cover it, right? And Tangerine's yeah. like, fine. Yeah. <laughs> For the sake of getting this woman out of here, I will pay your overpriced water. Yeah. <laughs> do they? Uh, and then he they, throws did, the water at his head, which I thought was a really good touch. Well, I was actually going to ask, do they sell water bottles on trains that are like glass in Japan? Because I don't think they would have that here. Yeah, they definitely wouldn't have that here. I wouldn't but, be surprised if they did in Japan, though. Yeah. This is sort of the uh, egocentrism of, of, of an American, I suppose, where you're just like, I trust that they would do anything that we wouldn't do. Basically. You know? Well, you know, actually, it's the opposite for me, because I assume in my head, we're not allowed to have like glass things on a train here because we're idiots. Right. <laughs> an actual country with people who are not stupid would might actually be allowed to. I mean that's that's what I thought too. So I guess it is an egocentrism. It's more just it's like the opposite of that, where mm-hmm. you're just like, yeah, every country is probably smarter than us, or yep. every developed country anyway. Yeah, every every place that they have more where they're more civilized than us, and also we would use it for terrorism purposes. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's not related. But it's, so then uh, they come fun. to an agreement, right? Lady Ladybug and Tangerine, they come to an agreement to like. Mm-hmm. I trick these guys mm-hmm. and uh i just i loved brad doing a terrible british accent yes <laughs> <laughs> it's so good yeah and again they don't notice and this obviously a huge part of this movie is the whole fate thing and like just chance either screwing you over or not right and uh great little encapsulation of that where brad pitt is emphasizing the fact that the case is the right case and he randomly hits the the lock, right? Right, and, and it opens. lands on the right coat. And, yeah. <laughs> and all right. and all of the fucking laundry or whatever the yeah, clothes fall out. Very <laughs> obviously not money. Mm-hmm. And then they both just run away. And I love I love Tangerine's disdain of Brad Pitt's character after that. Like, you know what? I hope you do get shots <laughs> or whatever he says. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly what it, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's perfect. And then of course they go past Channing Tatum again and he's just uh, amazing. Yep. <laughs> um, but then he, so then Ladybug ends up in a fight with the Hornet and the Hornet of course is using the boom, boom slang mm-hmm. venom. That's how she killed everybody at bad bunnies mm-hmm. wedding. And that's how she killed the son. And now she's going to go after Brad Pitt. And, and, and don't forget that she is the anime character mascot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then what, what I another part of this that I really liked was when she's like explaining how the venom works, mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like, yeah, I know. 
but she goes ahead and explains that anyway. He's like, I said yes. <laughs> it's, I said it's, I knew. There's a lot of moments with his character where I, I enjoyed the fact that how do I say this? He's not like done with the situation, but he's not like mad that she's explaining it to him. But it's like we can move on. You know, we don't need to dwell on this. Yeah, like. I, I get it. You don't need to tell me what how it's going to kill me. I, I understand how it's going to kill me, or just that it is, yeah, if you yeah. get it. Yeah, it doesn't uh, even matter how it kills me. If it's going to kill it, me in 30 seconds, then it doesn't, you know, I don't need to know. You know, eventually he does, he ends up getting her with her own venom. This, this is a delightful fight scene where they're going back and forth with this. Yeah. Um, I thought I it was she, so well done. She's dressed as the, the, uh, the, uh, they're not, they're not stewards or stewardesses anymore, even on planes. Pretendants. Yeah, she she's changed, right? And she's in the uh, attendant. Right, you know, right. She's got like the blonde hair. Yeah. And um And the, oh, by the way, this is this is Zazie Beats, who I didn't yeah. also did not know was in this movie. She's credited, so it's not a cameo. I just didn't notice. She was also in Deadpool too. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, she's a domino in that movie, so that was another fun fun addition. She's she's not in all that many things. And it's always fun to see her. She's got, like Bad Bunny. She's got a very small part, but yeah, but you know, effective. I do think, you know, I really do like her, but I thought she was almost kind of the weakest one. Yeah, in some ways, she was. Uh, maybe along with Wolf. Right, right. Well, you get the great backstory, but very little in the present. Yeah, so the backstory like sort of brings him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but or you don't even get a backstory, really. Yeah, but she, like her use of bitch constantly was just like, I was like, okay, we don't, I, I get it. Yeah, that actually, <laughs> he's a bitch. There's, there was no, I, yeah, I didn't feel uh, there was a reason for her to continually say it. Yeah. Like, again, was, I wonder if something was cut, but. I think it's probably just like an affectation of her character, right? Like yeah. that's just what her character says. And mm-hmm. maybe we would be more willing to accept it if we had seen her character more. Mm-hmm. Right. But, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, to see a longer version of this or a director's cut or just to read about what they may have been able to keep and not keep. And yeah, I would not just in that. This is to criticize their decisions as far as the editing and what they cut, but a movie like this is difficult. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of stuff happening and you really need to decide what's necessary to keep and what isn't. And it's not easy. Yeah. They say say 90% of writing is editing. Um, possibly especially with screenwriting yeah oh absolutely it's because then it, things end up work you sometimes you hear actors say like i read the script and the script is great and then i acted in the movie and i saw the movie and it wasn't that good so you never know how it's going to translate to the screen yeah well yeah i mean that's like what colin farrell said about alexander right mm-hmm. oh that is exactly what he said about it where they were all so excited and even through making the movie they were like this is going to be good and then it wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah, and it just wasn't. What I think happened? Even, I think in his his description of it, even Oliver Stone was like, "Oh, I this didn't work. <laughs> it had been working for me through a lot of the process, and then it just didn't." Um, but yeah, not that, so that weird. it's not to say that this movie doesn't work. It's just it'd be interesting to see. They're just oh yeah some of the decisions. Um. So I I mean that death scene was like brutal, ridiculous, mm-hmm. and hilarious. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I believe you even texted me a quote from that when he said he's mansplaining. Yeah, he's talking about the venom while she's dying, and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm mansplaining. I didn't mean to. Just a delightful quote, and I I think that might be one of my favorite fight scenes in the movie. I don't even know why, possibly because they're fighting 
it emphasizes Brad Pitt's more more tactics of avoidance in fighting. Right. Where he's not trying to kill anyone, he's just trying to get out of the way. I but do like that he steals the anti-venom. Yeah. That was also hilarious and also ends up coming back later. And then he's like, you didn't bring more? Yeah, you only have you to bring more. Actually, I think that might have been what he was mansplaining about. Yeah, I think he's so. Like, you, you always bring more. And then she's like, I'm fucking dying. Yeah. <laughs> In the Do process of water? Of yeah. But you want, oh, you don't want water. So, um, don't, I, I keep saying um and stopping. I'm sorry. I'm having trouble organizing my thoughts. But no, it's okay. I, well, so pretty soon after that, we get to another really perfect encapsulation of economic filmmaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like a it's a, a scene that lasts maybe like ten seconds, but it shows the backstory of Tangerine and Lemon, right? Mm-hmm. And it's touching, mm-hmm. not overly touching, right? It's not, but not it, hokey, yeah. it gives even more weight to their bond, mm-hmm. so that you really feel the pain actually of them potentially losing each other. And I really liked the decision to put it here, not the first time we meet them. Yeah, I agree. Because it builds on the relationship we've already seen. And you might be tempted to put it back at the beginning, like how you show Bad Bunny's character backstory right away. But here it works really well because we're actually more, we're more, we're invested in them already, I think. Right. Well, this comes back to the water bottle, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is, you know, Lemon's been drinking water from the water bottle that, Brad Pitt, who earlier said he worked on the dosage and, the and then, then pours the whole in. thing in anyway. <laughs> Another very funny little visual gag. <laughs> where he's like carefully, ooh, just a little bit. Just, okay, the whole thing. And then, you know, it also goes to show how she thinks the bad guy, the prince, thinks mm. she's lucky. Yeah. When, it, I mean, it. so she is in a sense, but it's also like, it's just, coincidence you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a, that would be an interesting if i taught a college class on on film i might use this movie just to talk about the philosophy of coincidence and 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 different things that happen i can't get into it now because i'm too stupid but because <laughs> <laughs> it's not just class. it's not just about fate and coincidence it's it's got a lot of because life and circumstances aren't meaningless, but they're also not necessarily as fraught with meaning as we think. Right. Exactly. Which is, that's kind of what he's getting at here. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and, you know, wait, you do get the impression, though, that just Ladybug really does have the worst luck. Mm-hmm. So, well, remember speaking back, of luck. Remember back at the toward the beginning when he's describing the hilarious job he did with the with the senator or whatever <laughs> he's taking the pictures of the of the politician oh yeah yeah having the affair at the window and i had to rewind to catch the line the, of the woman he's fucking saying i voted for you i know which, <laughs> which, my assumption being that that gets him off um and he's describing <laughs> i have the worst luck i was just doing this job and a guy commits suicide and falls off the roof and hits my car yeah and she's and Maria, who he's talking on the phone with, says, "I'd consider that good luck because he lives. Because he lives." And I, I also love the fact that that Brad Pitt takes him to the hospital. Hang in there, buddy. Yeah. 
But I actually re- forgot about that scene. It's so good. It, it's really funny. And uh, it's funny because Brad Pitt considers himself as having such bad luck. But honestly, a lot of his luck is really good. It's just he would rather not find himself in that situation at all. It but also he, shows that he makes bad choices, too. Yeah, yeah, that's also true. Yeah, yeah, a lot of your fate is actually going to be where you put yourself. Right, because, like, Tangerine is like, you're the diesel to mm-hmm. um, to the prince. Mm-hmm. And then he stops her. He stops Tangerine and saves her. You mm-hmm. know? Saves her, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's not bad luck. That's just not reading the situation. Yeah. Um, but uh, I also enjoyed that they had a they had a cool moment where um, Brad Pitt's character says what, as an audience member, probably feels every moment that this happens to them when. Mm-hmm the grandfather gets on the train and sits right next, right to, next them. to them. And the train is empty at this point. And Brad Pitt's just like, really? <laughs> I, I uh, just move. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I was kind of wondering how you felt about this part of the movie where we get to the grand, the, the elder, the grandfather, and we get a lot more of the son who we had thought was dead at this point because of the cool little game that like, have you seen that British game show? where you have to it's like between two people and you're trying to either split or take an amount of money Mm-mm, i haven't seen it and you have to secretly decide like say it's you and i we both will either write split or take or steal i think it is and if we both mm-hmm. say split we split the money but if either of us says steal the one who said steal gets the money but if you both say steal, no one gets the money. And they get time to talk to each other beforehand to try to like either convince one one or the other. And there's a famous clip of a guy who uses like it's like used sometimes for like psychological manipulation. Like people will be like, oh, this is a good example of using psychology to get people to do what you want. Um huh. And he convinces the other guy to to split the money with him via saying, I'm going to steal. If that makes any sense. Um, you should just look up the clip because it's better than my explanation of it. But I, that, feel that like w- I, I feel like I know what you're talking about, but yeah. It's, uh, that is sort of the game that, that Lemon plays with them where he's trying to figure out who between the son and the prince are. The oh, people. right. And he says, either raise your hand or point. And if you both raise your hands or both point, I'm killing you both. <laughs> and. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, uh, wait, what was I saying when I, when I got here? Oh, we, he gets, the prince gets shot at this point. We think he might be dead, but he's not. Um, well, the prince, the prince is the girl. I'm sorry. The son then it gets yeah. shot. Right, right, right. Right. Okay. This movie's kind of tough with the names. <laughs> I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of, kind of just wish they got names occasionally. Um, like real names. So but, then the, the anti-venom ends up coming into play at this point, right? Mm-hmm, because the this the snake the boom slang just straight up bites his hand bites his hand out of nowhere <laughs> he runs running I don't like, I actually really liked that uh, the prince Joey mm-hmm. King here goes uh, was that a snake was that a snake <laughs> yeah because this is I, I like she's got an attitude toward life where she thinks she's so lucky etc so she accepts the bizarre fact that there's a random snake on the train. <laughs> But um, just wants, wants clarification that that is, in fact, what she saw. It's not, why the fuck was there a snake? Why did a snake bite the guy who was sitting next to me? Why am I lucky that it didn't bite me? Just, huh, 
How how odd. Can you confirm that I saw that correctly, please? <laughs> and then I love that Brad Pitt eventually gets it into the toilet, closes it, and then we see what he wrote on the lid. Yeah, what is it? Like snake, do snake, not open. Snake, don't open. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and the calm how calm the elder and the prince are with that seat where he's, he's getting bitten by what looks like a pretty gnarly snake and he runs off and they're just both like huh <laughs> yeah just like, how oh, i saw that coming yeah exactly um and then uh and then you know eventually brad pitt comes back he's sitting next to the elder and the elder is like i think you know i should t- tell you a story and no, i'm and, good no I'm, i don't need to hear it and he's i really think you should no it has to do with you. No. <laughs> he just says no the whole time. And then finally the, the elder's like, well, I'm going to tell you the story. Yeah. Says, uh, and you could just see the look on Ladybug's face where he's like, fuck, man, I just, yeah. just want to get off this fucking train. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing. A lot of Brad Pitt's uh, motivation in this movie is just get off. He's not yeah. trying to win. He's not trying to get the money necessarily. He's not trying to kill anyone. He's just like, I just want to leave. <laughs> At this point, I don't even need to finish the job. Um, so then we get to, this is with the song that I, mm-hmm. um, that I like really, uh, thought pulled a lot of emotional weight is when mm-hmm. they do the, the song 500 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we learn more about the elder here about how, much he lo- about how much he loves his family and how much family means to him and also yeah. his, his connection with the white lotus or not the white lotus but i call him that the white death <laughs> what is the white lotus is that something it's an hbo max show it's isn't HBO it show. that's why that's why i'm confused it has nothing to do with that show which is apparently good but i haven't seen it yeah i haven't seen it either um so you know so yeah he basically tells he's telling the girl like i know you're you're diesel right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but so we get to the train station and they, or they're, they're, they've made their plan on how mm-hmm. they're going to do this. And they get the train going and they still have some people that are like on top of the train and some that are in it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I had one specific instance that I was pointing out in my notes here. And that's when mm-hmm. he lifts him up through the window in the train mm-hmm. and then just half of his body is gone. Is gone. Yeah. I was speaking, like, damn. Speaking of guys getting, parts torn off of them from overhead hanging things on trains. Yeah, I know. I, I was actually struck by how similar this, or not, I shouldn't say similar, but how many similar elements were in this as mm-hmm. in speed, you know? I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was picking one that was so close to <laughs> what you picked. Yeah, and it might it might do to inform the audience here that we both picked these movies independently and had not conferred with one another until we were like, oh, these movies are going to be back to back and are a bit similar. Yeah. So, um, Apparently Zach hadn't seen bullet train either. Mm-hmm. So that was another piece of it. Cause if you had seen it, maybe you would have been like, Oh, actually I think this might be a little too similar, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so whatever. Anyway. I think you actually said bullet train first. And then I said, I was interested in speed and I think you were like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't do that. And I was like, it's fine. Whatever it was, it yeah. was uh, more similar than I was expecting it to be. Especially because I forgot Sandra Bullock was in it. Like, oh. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah okay. she's only actually in it in it for a couple of seconds. Uh, but she's really in it throughout, if you consider her uh, 
voice. Her voice being in it, yeah. I I really enjoyed him calling her back on different phones, because he has like three different phones throughout the movie, because he has to keep stealing them from people. I know. Um, And then, you know, so we went from a runaway bus to a runaway train, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then the train derails, so that's Mm -hmm. our second straight movie with a train derailment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we get another final villain kind of I think it's not final villain but one of the big villains being killed off with having his head blown off yeah it was a that was brutal it was extra I was not expecting it to be quite so uh half very violent death. blown off rather than just rather than just um just getting shot in the head and uh actually ladybug's response to that is similar to ours where he's just like whoa <laughs> and, and you get a great sense of his like what other weird shit is going to happen today? Because every time I turn around, something bizarre is happening. And then, and then you know, she comes back, right? Mm. Oh, She's yeah. like, I'm the white death now, you know? And, and this is all... like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Why? My Oh, did we mention that she is her... She is the white death's daughter. I think we forgot that. I think we haven't mentioned it actually. This is the this is where it was hard for me because I didn't do as many notes as I normally do because mm-hmm. I was so engaged. Mm-hmm. But she reveals at one point that she's the daughter of. That's why she wants to kill the White Death because right. she, she wants to like be she, the White Death basically. Yeah, she's and she's been looked over in favor of the son, and we find out that that's probably not the case because the White Death doesn't care for his idiot son all that yeah. much. Yeah. And well, he uh, put a hit on him. Oh, there's such a great line with that too, where he's like. He, he put a hit on his son with his own ransom money? With his own ransom? That's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it might do to mention that at this point we find out that the White Death has in fact hired all of these assassins himself to be on this train to try to kill each other. Right. So, so that he can get revenge on all of them because all of them had something to do with the death of his wife. Exactly. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and this is how we find out why, you know... Ladybug replacing Carver was really not good for him. Yeah, that was actually pretty bad luck. Yeah, because Carver killed the White Death's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carver is Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, I don't know where he takes yeah. off his helmet and he's Ryan Reynolds and he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just like with the Brad Pitt cameo in Deadpool 2, I was like, is that Ryan Reynolds? And then it's over and I was like, I think that was Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they have uh, another big cameo, which is right after um, the prince gets killed by a truck, mm-hmm. which how beautiful that it was a tangerine truck. I know. <laughs> I thought that was really great. Um, but Sandra Bullock shows up. She pulls up then, as his handler and reveals that it had been her voice all along. Yep. And she has a really nice car. And then, of mm-hmm. course, and just like in most action movies, they destroyed the really nice car. A really nice car. <laughs> like a pole or some shit falling on it. Well, actually, yeah. they kind of destroyed a lot of this little this little suburb of Kyoto or wherever it was with the whole, an enormous, very fast train plowing through half of the village. And I think this actually goes to show, this, this kind of harkens back to something we said about central intelligence, how we felt there was a little bit too much exposition at the end, mm-hmm. and how they do that. It seems like they do that more in more modern movies. Yeah. Right? But this one didn't really. I mean, it yeah. was just like, okay, everybody's dead now. We're leaving. I did think there was like one too many jokes at the end. Yeah, I can see that. But 
but they did something. Remember we were talking about like if they had put some of this as like you know a post credit scene, I think mm-hmm. it would have done better. Mm-hmm. And then that's how they did this. Yeah, with the, so they had like a fun little explanation of how the prince gets killed as a post credit scene. I think that just works so well. Yeah, and a little just follow up on what happens to Lemon. Right. Which is nice because like it's not it's not forcing you to watch that, right? It's like they're saying this isn't part of the film, but if you're interested, yeah, it's here's it's, here's some more. It's nice to have the option to be done if you're done, right? <laughs> Instead of having to sit for way way more stuff, and it's it, it feels more like a little extra added. Oh, look, a little a little twenty uh, percent more in the shampoo bottle, you know? Right, exactly. Well, that's it. That's that's the whole movie. Um, so this, now I guess we should move on to the rank. It's the sort of movie where we 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 missed a lot of plot elements, but you kind of have to. Yeah, right. <laughs> it all goes so quickly that if you really want a full in-depth plot, maybe just watch. Yeah. Yeah, I almost feel sort of bad because I feel like we usually do really thorough overviews, and this one maybe wasn't as much. So sorry, listeners, but you know, I would say, I would say watch it because mm-hmm. it's worth watching for one, but also, uh, you know, for two, it's it's you'll see when you watch it that it's hard to just turn away from it and write notes about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the rank is where we rank the movie based on 10 categories, story, acting, originality, action sequences, chase slash fight scenes, film coherence, hero appeal, villain appeal slash hatred, supporting characters appeal, and the final showdown, which is mm-hmm. hero versus villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we rank it on a scale of one to five, one being the worst, five being the best, and we we always start with story, and this time Zach goes first. Story for me is a 4.75. Not quite perfect, but because I have reasons for this, and then it goes more into film coherence, but I think it's a really good story. I mean, setting a story on a train is not super original necessarily, but... <clears throat> It's the kind of story I really like. I love stories that are um, more contained into one area because you get great interactions just between the number of characters you have. You don't get new characters introduced all the time. You don't move to different places. Although this um, one does have a lot of new characters introduced. Throughout. Well, that's the interesting thing is because of train people get on and off, right? Oh, that's, yeah, okay. Sorry, I interrupted I, you. That is okay. I, I just, I love that kind of story where there's a limited amount of places to go it's a lot of the same people interacting with one another. I loved a lot of the characters bumping back into each other frequently. Um, yeah, I agree. It's just, it's, it's my kind of thing and it was very well done. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're pretty far off on this with each oh, other because wow. I went with 4.75. Oh, okay. So you were being sarcastic. I see. Yeah, we're <laughs> the exact same. Uh, I love the story. Real original. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the story. I, you know, I'm like, it's sort of amazing that uh, that John Long was able to come up with this <laughs> premise. Oh, you you managed to sneak John Long in. <laughs> I thought we were gonna go whole one without without sneaking in John Long, but there he is. Well, he's come up with so many great premises, you can't avoid him. Yeah, but it's you know, so- he he's usually saying let's do it on top of a mountain, but this one, yeah. you know, he really went out of his his uh, comfort, comfort zone, zone. for exactly. It, so. Good job, John. Yeah, he, he made the very wise decision to place this train on a train track instead of on top of a mountain. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the only knock I had on it for me, just to, to make it not perfect, is, you know, you you could say that it was at points needlessly complicated. Yeah, yeah. 
But again, it's 4.75, so it's not like I'm saying that was really that bad. It was just mm-hmm. like the bad bunny being a character in this probably didn't need to happen. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, um, so then we move on to acting. And I'll do that one first. Mm-hmm. I actually gave acting a five on this. Did you? Yep. I thought about taking some points because I don't think um, Zazie Beats or Zazie Beats, I'm not sure how you say her name, is perfect in it. But it's such a small role. It's not like it was, she was bad, you know, that I just am like, this is perfect. I, you know, I can't imagine it being any better. Mm-hmm. No, I get that. So, yeah, you go ahead. I was, uh, was going to go with four and a half. Basically the same. Um couple of the performances I didn't couple of performances I didn't love by which I mean they were still good just not quite perfect for me uh that which includes, one? Bad just, bunny? To, just to call out I didn't think bad bunny was that great but he wasn't given much so I'm not trying to insult him right. I do kind of wonder it makes me wonder what kind of actor he is and why he's in it not just the character but I mean he's a he's a music artist it's one of the biggest in the world I'm not positive he can act all that great because they don't give him any lines. So it makes me feel like they just wanted him in the movie and they were, maybe they gave him lines and were like, Oh shit, you're not very good. So we're just going to basically make you stand there. Um, well, he does say, I'll go after you as long as I live or whatever, which is fine. So know. he gets that line in there, but yeah, he doesn't have many lines. He is, he is engaging and charismatic though. So I can see as far as, as far as the part he does, he's asked to play. He does. Okay. Um, yeah, his physicality. His yeah. 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 Um, I didn't care all that much for Joey King. It just felt overplayed to me where she was either very much overplaying the little girl thing or very much overplaying the, um, I shouldn't say very much. I said very much in both those instances, just a bit, uh, either over overplaying just the innocent little girl act, which I know was part of the character. She was purposely doing that right. or, or acting like she was more of a mastermind than she was. And you might argue that that's the character. The character is more confident than she should be. Right. Which is I sort did. of the point why she has such a anticlimactic death, you know? Yeah. And we had forgotten to mention that, uh, that ladybug, when she's shouting, it's my luck that brought my dead father to my feet here. And I'm now, he's like, what a narcissist. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that. That was a really good line. And she absolutely is a narcissist. So oh yeah. Very accurate as well. What a narcissist. What is it? Like narcissism on this one or something like that. Yeah, I like think that's that. exactly what he says. He's like, I have a therapist if you need to talk to someone about this. What does he say? You should, I have some suggested reading for you. Border. That is what he says, yeah. How to deal with borderline personality or something like that. <laughs> and um, I didn't love Michael Shannon's performance. And I'll tell you why. I adore Michael Shannon and everything he's in. I just didn't believe him here. And I think part of it, how, what did you think of his Russian accent? Oh yeah, it wasn't good. I remember thinking that when I first watched it, but you and, know, I, so that's funny that you'd say that because sometimes I, I don't. So to, for our listener, I, I was fluent in Russian for a time and so a lot of times I think I'm probably being too hard on them, you know, because I can recognize it so easily. So it's interesting that you would say that because I, I often just discount that when I, mm-hmm. when I see it. But go no, ahead. His, his accent did not feel great to me. Um, I don't know. I've been watching a lot of, uh, I, I can't remember his name, but a guy on YouTube who does, he's an accent coach and he does videos about accents in movies primarily. And he'll often say, I don't think this actor had enough preparation time or the right resources. 
mm-hmm. because without the right accent coach and without enough time to actually get the accent correct, sometimes you're just forced to go with what you have. And that kind of felt a little bit like this to me because Michael Shannon is a good enough actor. I feel like it might have just been whatever they didn't prep time. Yeah, yeah they right. could have been that they didn't have enough prep time. I could see that. I, you know, for me, it's when I hear them speak Russian because mm-hmm. when he was speaking Russian, I'm like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> such bad Russian but so and like it makes me like I like him it being in the movie but if he can't do the accent then maybe just go with a Russian actor or something you know yeah I mean I don't I don't blame you there I the accent didn't throw me off enough that I would no yeah that's again pretty minor quibbles just with three characters out of and everybody else was awesome I loved Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry's banter i loved the depth they were able to show as well they weren't just goofballs yeah and you liked them more and felt more for them as the story went on whereas at the beginning it was like these two goofies just being stupid um and brad pitt was really good um he's generally pretty good so oh oh oh, i liked i don't know who played the elder i don't i've i looked him up and i don't really know him from anything like i thought i I feel like i've seen him in so many things me too me too but i thought he did a good job Perhaps bordering that entire part of the movie was bordering a little bit on, like, Japan is so zen and mystical. Yeah. yeah. But that's not really for me to really judge too much. Um, I thought he did a good job of conveying being, like, a badass and fairly wise without doing too much. I always like those characters. So basically just 4.75 for me, not just a oh, couple 4. of... 4.75? What'd I say? You said 4.5 originally. Is it 4.75 or... It was let's. Um, it was probably. I think I just misspoke there. Four and a half because. Okay. Not perfect, but very good. Couple of couple of care. Couple of people brought it down a tiny bit. I actually then, I did want to mention. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say with a big with a huge cast like this, it's tough. You know. Yeah, I did want to mention so to sort of piggyback on something that you said about uh, you know, the the elder character and how they you know he's they're showing Japan as mystical and Zen. Mm-hmm. But I also think that they kind of shoot that in the foot a little bit mm-hmm. on purpose by having Brad Pitt constantly being like, I don't really understand this metaphor that you're making. You know, that's actually <laughs> oh, um, that is 100 percent true. And I love that part where he's like not really going along with it. 100 yeah, percent. Just like, oh, you're so we're the plums. <laughs> yeah, with the plums, I forgot. <laughs> um, and. What was I going to say? Oh, the, the, the part about. The, the ladybug part I just wanted to mention and this has nothing to do with acting I suppose but I, I really that that part actually like hit home for me somehow that in in sort of the Japanese idea of the word the ladybug carries all the sorrows of the world and Brad Pitt's like I don't want to carry the sorrows of the world <laughs> but such is the ladybug's fate I suppose we can move uh, on to the next fate. category if you want we've been well originality is the next category and that's for you to start Okay, that would be that would be a four for me. Okay. Um, I was thinking about going a lot lower. Just I feel like train and bus and everything else movies not not all that original, but and on top of which, sort of uh, characters and stories interconnecting, also not super original, but done well enough that I think it deserves some credit for for setting and for um, the way the plot actually unfolds. Yeah, I mean, so I give it a four and a half. Mm-hmm. I kind of specifically, 
specifically <laughs> for some of the same, the same reasons. What, what, what language did you go into there? <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, I was a stigmata there for a second. I was under Jim there's, uh, there's so many moving parts in this and like so many characters that you need the audience to care mm -hmm. about and you have to have them care yeah. about them quickly, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's So it's not completely original, runaway train, action movie, heist movie, etc. Comedy, yeah, yeah. action comedy, all that. But what I think is original about it is the way it blends all those formats together. Yeah. But that was what I gave it extra points for originality for. Absolutely. So on to action sequences. Um, I gave action sequences a five. Okay. I loved the action sequences. They all worked for me. They had me on the edge of my seat. Um, I was very engaged in them. You know, they're, it's, it's such a modern movie and yet they're using such practical effects and practical, uh, fighting choreography and everything. And, and it, it was unique in the way that he's almost like an Aikido guy, like, you know, mm -hmm. that he's just being defensive. Yeah, pretty yeah. Much. Anyway, that's what I thought. What say you? 3.8 for me. I know that feels probably a bit low. Um, I, well, especially I like, after I give it a perfect score. <laughs> well, well, for me, it's just more a little bit, a lot of the bigger action stuff, I didn't quite love. Towards the end there, it really gets, it gets very intense and a lot of explosive, uh, very explosive, I should say. And... I don't want to say it went overboard, just a little bit overboard for me, and I didn't love the train derailment at the end. It was, I it wonder was if you would have felt differently about it if we hadn't just watched Speed. Speed, that might have actually been part of it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but um, so very good, but not not great, not 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 really quite perfect for me. But I don't dis disparage your your grade at all. It's just. And I realized actually I was giving some some of when I was doing an explanation of my five I was actually doing some of the chase fight scenes so I guess um, you might see what's coming there but you go first mm -hmm. for chase and fight scenes chase and fight is easily four point seven five for me I might have gone higher um, I didn't <laughs> we'll see what we'll see what you say I might go higher um, oh, well I gave it a five I thought you might give it a five uh, I'm tempted to do like four point eight five or something like that but. Mostly, just, I, uh, the fight scenes were really good, maybe a little bit too much. I, I might have preferred some quieter moments in the movie, but I think that's not necessarily the point. But the fights were really well choreographed, really well shot. I don't know who choreographed the movie, but they did an excellent job. Um, and David Leach evidently can film fight scenes very well in that it's all cohesive. You know what? I'm going to give it higher. I'm going to give it higher. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it e uh, 4.9. 4. Yeah, I you know, because you're, I, you're actually go ahead. I talked myself into it because I, the fight scenes were filmed so well as well because it's so easy to go Michael Bay on it or yeah, or David Greengrass where it's just what am I even seeing? And I have a problem with that. Yeah, I, so I, anyway, I, I agree with I, you. I hate it and shaky cam makes me sick. The, but it also did a good job of not just pulling back and just we're just static camera and guys are running back and forth. So. Yeah, really, you get to really see, like, yeah, you get to see the action of the fight. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I basically said the same thing. It was, you know, I, it's how I imagine a fight scene to be. You know, like, this is how I want to see it. It's checked every box for me, but well choreographed um, by Frank Dukes and hard-hitting. <laughs> just fun. Frank Dukes, Frank Dukes, oh, man, you are you're on fire. <laughs> just mad respect for you right now. Um, 
So then we move on to film coherence. Um, and I'll go first for this one. And actually, it's funny because I, after talking to you, this happens a lot. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. about the movie back and forth, and you've noticed mm-hmm. things that I may not have like paid much attention to, or even just talking about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Sort of mm-hmm. like Bad Bunny, you know. Mm-hmm. Not really much of a point to that character. Yeah. Right. Um, but I gave film coherence a four and a half. So okay. as with story, I, you know. I just sort of wondered if we needed as many characters as we had. So I, I guess I was on to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing uh, because I truly enjoyed all the characters, but I'm not sure it needed to go on as, as long as it did. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, they sort of really drew it out. It was enjoyable and I loved how they ended it um, as in the tangerine truck, <laughs> but mm-hmm. was it just for the sake of getting all of it in or, or was it needed? Mm-hmm. You know, um, not like four and a half is a bad score either. It's just, just, yeah. I just, this is explaining why I don't think it's perfect. Yeah. Well, I went with a 3.75. So I, I thought everything you thought, but a little bit more. Yeah. At the same time though, in the moment, I would give it easily a four and a half or higher. It's just afterward. I, there were some clunky things and that's why I would be interested to see some extended cuts, some director's cuts and so forth, because I think it could have just been a little bit more coherent, a little bit more. Um, I would also be interested to read the book and also interested to read the screenplay, frankly, to see exactly how things were organized. It's, it's yeah. a really tough, it's a high wire act, but so really when you're watching a high wire act, any little stumble, it's still impressive that they managed to stay on but you do kind of have to ding it a little bit for me. No, it's, it's funny that you, I'm sort of thinking about one of the things you said in particular, Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that you tend to rank them sort of, I I think you have an idea. I don't know how exactly you do it, but I think you rank them sort of well after you've seen them. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And then I rank them immediately after I finish watching. Mm -hmm. So that, could be an interesting sort of why we differ in some areas sometimes. Because you're right. Right after you right after you watch it, it's such a fun movie to me. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, it's coherent. Sure. It's sort yeah. of hard to see the flaws when you've enjoyed something so much. Yeah, I, I definitely digest a lot before I'm really r- ranking anything. So Yeah, I've I mean had, it's probably had, a good call. Yeah, I've I've had time to well, you know, it's just a different way of doing it. And it might be I would love to toward, you know, the more and more of these things we do, it would be interesting to look at our own individual trends and in everything. Do some yeah. saber metrics, some some John and Zach metrics. Some saber metrics, I like it. Um, well, so that moves us on to hero appeal, and so mm-hmm. you can go first for that one. Hero appeal was three and a half for me. Um, uh, it was kind of difficult to even. I almost liked some of the supporting characters better than than Brad Pitt. And I it, that sort of undermines it a little bit, but you also can't avoid it, right? And Brad Pitt is sort of the uh, the more neutral lens through which we see a lot of the rest of the movie, and everybody else is a bit more a bit more active in their own stories, and that's by design. But at the same time, yeah, I think I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there. I, I gave it a four. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think the charm and charisma of Brad Pitt elevates it for me. 
yeah, just yeah, yeah. he's just he's so much fun to watch in this. But yeah, um, it is a situation where sort of every hero is a bad guy in this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all the bad guys are bad guys. Mm-hmm. I would say Brad Pitt is probably the least bad guy of all the good guys. Yeah, yeah. all the people you're rooting for. Um, and you know, it's engaging and hilarious. But there were times when I would get annoyed with him for his quote unquote bad luck. You know, like yeah. saving what's her face there and then getting back on the train with her. And I'm just like, what the, just mm-hmm. fucking leave her, man. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, which was, you know, anyway, so I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't say that it was like, like the best hero ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that I think, you know, I don't know. I gave it, a, I gave basically, I'm thinking about it. I think I gave them, him the exact same score as I gave Keanu in speed. And I feel like that sounds right. Okay. That's pretty uh, fair. So, um, all right. So then we go on to villain appeal slash hatred. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'll go first on this one. And this actually was tough mm-hmm. in my opinion, because the Prince was, I just, I fucking hated her. Yeah. So the problem with this is that they don't, really it's like they weren't sure if they could really have her be the villain. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that you, I, so I gave it a four. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I said that already, but I gave it a four, but because I think the Prince was an excellent villain that you just hated. It's, it's, yeah. it's so well done to, to hate this person, the cockiness, the, but it wasn't, it never felt over the top like Dennis Hopper, you know? Yeah. Um, or John Lithgow, if you will. <laughs> oh, do you really think John Lithgow's was that over the top? <laughs> well, I liked it because I, I thought his over the top was on purpose, yeah. which I liked about it. But, um, but they, they just kind of shot it in the lake a little bit by introducing the White Death as the ultimate baddie that had to be dealt with. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's I like, think I... who is the ultimate villain? Go ahead. No, you're the one. You're this is your ranking, so I don't want to. No, no, I was done. So you go. That's exactly, I feel the same, uh, much the same way, because I think it would have been better to keep the White Death more off screen, maybe entirely. I get that they want to kill him at the end, but I liked him being a more sort of cosmic force that isn't just some dude. I liked right. sort of a personification of fate, and then at the end, it's I don't even know anything about him, and he's not there. But that obviously changes the plot a lot, since the Elder is there specifically to kill the White Death, as is the Prince, but... But whatever, like you said, it kind of diminishes. It does diminish Joey King a bit, and that's I, I went with three and a half, which is I decided purposefully to give it the same one as Hero Appeal, because I'm kind of counting everybody. This is, uh, you know, for me, part of the reason that the Hero Appeal didn't work quite so well for me is that I felt it to be more of an ensemble movie right. than they than they went with. I think they actually went with a little bit too much of of Brad Pitt, possibly because he, you know, had a huge percentage of the budget, but. <laughs> I would have enjoyed it more if everybody was featured a little bit more. And uh, same thing with villain appeal. I uh, I wouldn't mind seeing it. a prequel with uh, with Lemon and Tangerine. Yeah, maybe the Bolivia job, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would be really fun, actually. But it, um, it possibly would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that sort of leads directly to the next category: supporting characters appeal. So I'll let you mm-hmm. go. I'm the three and a half because <laughs> I purposely did all the acting ones the same because they're all part and parcel for me. 
That's interesting because I want five supporting characters appeal. Yeah, because so if if you say that Joey, so what I decided for my rankings was Brad Pitt's the hero, Joey King is the villain, mm-hmm. right, and then everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Michael Shannon can play menacing really well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so he's menacing. Uh, I thought that the elder was great. I even thought like the the son being kind of weaselly in the beginning and like having some redemption at the end really worked well. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, Channing Tatum, obviously incredible um, <laughs> MVP of the movie. But I mean, the all star, the, the the guys that just jumped out on this are definitely Tangerine and Lemon. Mm-hmm. Aaron Taylor mm-hmm. Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry. I mean, they're just so good in this. I, I could mm-hmm. have watched the entire movie of just them yeah. being in it. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was. Uh, I, I get I get your reasoning. Yeah, but so anyway, so let's go to the final showdown. So this mm-hmm. is uh, I'll go first. Hero versus villain. Mm-hmm. I gave it a three and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it was one of my. I think it was the lowest grade I gave ranking i should say i gave for any of the categories yeah i think so right yep it is um and it, and it, it goes together with what we're what i was saying about the villain appeal is that um the whole time you're rooting against uh the prince and then all of a sudden you're sort of forced to root against the white death and i just you know i, I didn't have enough time to buy him as being this like ultimate villain bad guy that i am rooting against yeah i could see him as being menacing i'm okay with that but like and they have like a couple moments right where he's like you know he's i got a contract out to kill his own son with the the, the contract money is the ransom money i mean that's yeah that's pretty fucked up yeah but it was it was i I was so far invested into the other scheme Mm -hmm. you know um I think the sequence is really good. You know, mm-hmm. all the fighting and everything that happens. I thought that whole sequence was great. Um, but the, the emotional weight to get behind the final showdown, they, they give that to us about 30 minutes before the end of the movie. They shot their wad too quick. Well, no, I mean, they did it too, they did it too late. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You know? So it's like, they, they're like, here's why you should care about this. Okay. Now we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good point. Um, I mean, so Michael Shannon's definitely a creepy villain, uh, but he's not the one I wanted to see lose. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we do eventually um, see the prince lose, and and it's funny, and they do a good job of that and everything. Um, and and it is satisfying though slapstick. Mm-hmm. Um, I just you know I could yeah. Anyway, I'm explaining. I'm over explaining it. What what did you put? What'd you give it? Well, first I'd like to go back. I think I would like to move up my um, supporting cast grade, if that's okay with you. Yeah, okay. Because I listen to you, and then I process, and I think it's it's easily a four. Okay. And I had purposely tried to have everything, all the acting ones be the same, but supporting cast is, you're right, the supporting cast is... Um, it shines. Uniformly excellent, even the ones I didn't care for quite as much. So just bumping that up. And because okay. I was thinking for Final Showdown, I only did a three um, for a lot of the same reasons. It didn't work quite as well for me. I enjoyed the rest of the movie a lot more. And um, I was thinking about all the rankings I did, and it feels very low. 
Like it feels lower than I actually liked the movie. So I decided that's why I decided to bump up bump up supporting cast to try to better, more accurately reflect what I enjoyed about the movie, which was the supporting characters and the interactions between them. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that, that does make sense. Did you, did you want to talk a little bit more about the final showdown or did I kind of suck all the air out of the room for that? One? No, you, you pretty, you pretty, pretty much said what I thought too. Um, it was a bit, I bent a bit anticlimactic because a lot of the emotional beats were already, were already diminished, not diminished, but um, fulfilled, I suppose. Yeah, I almost think that you could have killed off the White Death in sort of a slapstick kind of way, mm-hmm. um, and then had the like a more cunning, like less actiony showdown with Joey King. I, I absolutely would have loved that. Maybe maybe it doesn't make sense to compare it to a movie that doesn't exist, like right. But but that would have been a much more satisfying way to me. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because I I think it was cool that they had him die by his by her plan. You know, mm-hmm. him shooting yeah. her gun. Yeah, her plan didn't that was. Work. Yeah, so I like that aspect of it. I almost feel like you could have had that happen sort of right at the beginning of the final showdown, yeah. and then have the other his goons basically. Yeah. Like acquiesce to her, be like, oh, I guess you're the leader now. Mm-hmm. Right, and she's like, okay, kill these people. Yeah. Anyway. I'm I am definitely no filmmaker and I am not trying to say to anybody that was in the making of this that I would have done it better because I I'm sure that I would not have but David Leach is over there going David Leach who definitely listens to our podcast is like fuck these guys they don't know bullet train yeah not only does he listen he listens live he actually taps into our system yes exactly we have a lot of directors who do that they they're they really you know why cuz they want they want they want um ideas for the next movies you know they want tips well listen you're gonna have to pay a finder's fee just like you gave john long <laughs> john long who is a uh, who's now collecting for every action movie under the sun he's <laughs> he's over there raking in the bucks interestingly you know frank dukes has created all these movies and done yeah, like yeah. choreography he hasn't gotten paid at all well you know he he's more fair to him well he's he's more concerned with honor than money i know you know <laughs> really it's, just, it's all about the kumite for him uh well let's, let's 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 see where it ranks where does bullet train rank i was just gonna say well that is the rank and uh bullet train actually you might be interested to hear this it, it got an 84.95 very very respectable yeah it's really high um it ended firmly in number three Jeez, how about that i i, I would not have expected that going in but sort of once we start talking about it it makes a lot of sense yeah, it was it was it's in between Aliens and Predator actually. Wow. I would so, not have pegged it as being better than Predator, but there we are. Yeah, I you know it's it's interesting. It's inter- looking at it, I'm like is it really better than Predator? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really I enjoyed it though, but uh, you know, say la vie, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. in sharp contrast with much of the critical opinion. Yeah, no kidding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not even that far behind Bullet Train or f- behind Aliens or Iron Man because Iron Man is uh, essentially what three point four points ahead of it, and Aliens is two point five five. Okay, so that wraps up Bullet Train. Thank you for uh, listening. If you wanted to see an updated ranking of our rankings, you can do so at the uh, our website, therankwithjohnandzach.com. 
and um, or you can check out our Twitter, which is uh, at the rank. And are there other sites I should know about? Yeah, Patreon, right? You can go to our Patreon and see the, the rank. Actually, you know what? Go to the Patreon first for unrelated reasons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next episode, we are going to be ranking Jason and the Argonauts, the 1963 movie starring, um, I have the foggiest idea, <laughs> um, Todd Armstrong is, is who it's starring. The famous yeah. action star, Todd Armstrong. Famous action star Todd Armstrong, acted by Don Chaffee. Um, none of that really matters, though, because this movie is all about the special effects done by Ray Harryhausen, the legendary stop-motion animator. Um, and it'll be, I think it'll be really interesting to see how we feel about how an action movie was framed and filmed back in 1963 and um, how the effects hold up if they do. Yeah, I'm excited to find out. I guess we'll see next time on The Rank with John and Zach. That that wraps it up for us. Um, so thank you for listening. Goodbye. And sayonara. Didn't like Bullet Train, but that's because it had very little, very few gorillas in it.